Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the podcast number 722, uh, who is promoting No Escape, which the movie looks so awesomely stressful. <laughs> I mean, in the sense of like, oh, like it's just, it's a great, yeah. like edge of your seat kind of thriller, kind of a thriller movie, yeah. kind of an escape movie, really, even though it says there's no escape. <laughs> there's God, I would hope there's an escape. You have to but see it to find out. You have to see it and find out. It's in theaters August 26th. And uh, we were able to pin Owen Wilson down for a podcast who was who was actually on my bu- my podcast bucket list. Oh, yeah? He was he was one of the names on the list. Still a lot of names on the list, but Owen was on there. And uh, he did not disappoint. Uh, and now here's the nurse episode number 722 with Owen Wilson. Now entering Nerdist.com. Crazy. I can't believe she's doing five shows at Staples Center. They sold out instantly and then seven. That's like YouTube business. Yeah. I think that's even crazier. Yeah. Do people love it? Well, YouTube, that's better than YouTube because YouTube has to divide it by five. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> Taylor Swift is one person. One person. Yeah. What if we just talked about Taylor Swift for 45 minutes? Is that... We can't afford not to. <laughs> 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 I mean, seriously... She's gonna be. She is. There's gonna be this weird like tween mafia that uh, that watches over. She made Apple Music dot bow down to her. power. Isn't that crazy? That was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we're in the wrong business. We should have been 22 year olds, country turned pop stars. I think. Yeah, I guess that. I guess we, you know, just one more thing when we lay our bed down to sleep. Regret. It's not too late. I think it's not too late for us. I think we could still pull it off. Well, uh, I think we could pull off the 22-year-old. Uh, <laughs> I am from Texas, so that is... Uh, oh, you have picked up the karaoke. The... I'm dying to see Thank that. you. What karaoke? Well, aren't you and Woody going to that karaoke thing? Or is that just something, a joke that I read? Uh, well, we were in Malibu, and it, we were at this place, Cafe Habana, that does a karaoke. Doing the karaoke? Well, no, no. The, Pete Fairley was doing uh, it with um, um, the guy from um, 
Empire of the Sun, who was really there. It was a great guy who was singing his songs. And, and we were what? Yeah. If you were going to karaoke, what would your what would your song of choice be? Willie Nelson song. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Listen, if you don't love me by now, maybe. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a really good. Now, let me ask you this: Are you? Uh, would you? Would you try for real to sing it, or would you like comedy it up? I'd try for real. That could that would be a good one to have played at like a funeral too. <laughs> you don't love me by now. All right, you will never. I got a pitch: funeral crashers. It's just a whole movie of people just crashing funerals and singing inappropriate songs. Yeah, as their as as loved ones are being buried. I think it's fun, and it kind of gets you into the Taylor Swift thing that we were talking about before. All roads lead back to Taylor Swift these days. She is the can, she is the the thread, the fabric of the universe. The, she is the dark matter in the universe that ties yeah. everything together. Yeah, the net. <laughs> she's the net. What if we just she's found out she's not that, a real person? Yeah. She's just a sentient she's, expression of the internet. That's Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> she's passed the crown down. That was ahead of its time. The net was, was yeah. Movie, the like net. At the time you were thinking, well, what is that? The net, and now. You know, now you understand what it was, but um, they control everything. No one says the net, though. Even no at the time the when net. that came out, people were like, "I don't well, know if anyone yeah, says the net." No one says the net. <laughs> you know, hey man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna check the net. You guys, do you want me to get anything? No. What are you gonna check? That's not a thing. Are you an internet person? Do you, are you? Do you spend an exorbitant amount of time on the internet? I'm or, a net person. Are you a net? Are you a net? I was are you very a netter? offended when you just went on that little run about um, how no, no I'm sorry. You know what? That was really. I apologize. That was really inappropriate, and uh, I sh- this should be inclusive. And that yeah. was well, um, you know, not wildly so, but um, I do. Um, yeah, I, I guess like everybody, um, you know, you do go on. I, you know. I wish sometimes that you went on more for sort of positive things, or, but I do. You do find yourself sometimes getting, even if you go to ESPN, all of a sudden there's like a little thing like, you know, fifteen child stars that you wouldn't recognize now, and all of a sudden you'd like, before you know, you clicked on and you're looking at these things, and it's like I just wanted to check the score of the Red Sox game, and now I've been sucked into this negativity. Yeah, I like how hypocritical I get with that stuff because yeah. I'll go, "Well, this is terrible." Yeah, it's yeah. like sixteen of the ugliest babies. Yeah. That's mean. Wow, fourteen's awful. Oh my god, that's terrible. What a terrible baby. Like, <laughs> right, you we, we, you wish you were kind of looking at more like, you know, great poems and like, you know, great quotes from Churchill. And you do, but uh, it, a lot of times the internet seems to steer you towards some of this kind of negative stuff. But I did have a friend recently recommended, um, you know, this history podcast that I did start listening to that was great. Um, and... Um, and so, yeah, it's fun when you What's find it something good. The Hardcore History, it's on World War One. Oh, nice. Yeah, it says Dan Carlin. And you realize that if you did, he's such an engaging uh, person, the way he kind of explains this stuff, because I feel like, well, I kind of know how World War One began. It's, you know, Sarajevo, the guy got assassinated or something. But when he kind of lays it out, it's really interesting, and it's... Remind you of how lucky you were if you ever had a good teacher, because 
I, I, I don't feel like I like most people that you have a lot of great teachers in your life. Uh, there's like a few that are like, and what makes them great is that they're like super engaging and it makes learning fun. Well, I, you know, obviously there's a, there is the sum total of human knowledge available in our, at, at, in our phones at all times. We have the right. sum total of human knowledge on the net. Right. It's really cut down on our ability to BS. <laughs> but, but you don't even know what, yarn. You don't even know what's real anymore, though. Like, you well, that's the thing. There's so much. I mean, the nutrition stuff is like trying to get an answer on, you know, are blueberries an antioxidant or, you know, it, it, it's, there, there's so much conflicting stuff on... Um, any kind of like health questions uh, but I find I always am kind of you know white rice good or bad uh, well there's you know you can find a bunch of things that say it's good and then you've got to be eating brown rice and then no oh, brown rice is this is why our family went back to white rice and then you read that article uh, so I wish that you could just get um, or if there was some that there's probably a, a room for like an app that like was a very reliable person uh you know the way like you know they used to have most trustworthy people in america like walter cronkite would be like right. number one some but there's room for somebody like that on the net there is somewhere. <laughs> somebody then, who you know you could rely you could take it to the bank if they if it's coming from this website that it's pretty good but i think it's dangerous to even be that person because the, then too much power there's too much power and Corrupts. then too far to fall because yeah. everyone's human and yeah. people you know people see yeah. these two-dimensional representations of folks on tv and, the, and i'm just gonna keep calling it the net i don't give a shit we're bringing it back <laughs> I'm going to sound like a douchebag, and I don't mind. People see, people see people on... It does flow off the tongue in really a way. It really does that make sense. Makes me think that, like, you know, those marketing people at Sony, when they <laughs> changed the title from the internet to the net, knew what they were doing. Some, some, poor, some poor guy whose life was ruined when that movie bombed, and now is like, I've been vindicated! I'm back! Trying to get his job back, but I but I think you know there, there's you just don't know you just don't know who to trust, and people are human, and they have so far to fall now because there's always someone that's going to dig up some shit on on yeah. a guy and go. Oh, yeah. But then twenty yeah. years ago he wrote this, which right. means and yeah. there's just no yeah. I, I don't even know what's true. I, I sometimes I feel like we're living in the matrix, but a lot of times I just feel like. It's a weird misinformation matrix where nothing actually makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, it's it's a hall of mirrors, you know, with you know contradictory stuff uh, that that is you know difficult to untangle because you can just sort of go down a rabbit's hole uh, with trying to. I keep going back to nutrition, but that's the thing that I'm always seem like I'm I get interested in finding out about. And yeah, how far? How what? What did? What do you know so far about nutrition? I'm 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 in the same round. Well, I, I got I got interested because I read I guess something in the paper about this the blue zone thing and where they did a study of um, you know five places in the world where people live you know tend to live really long you know to like a hundred and there's one actually not far from Los Angeles that's like um, Seventh Day Adventist which I don't you know it's some I don't know some religious group and then there's a place in japan an island some place off like greece and it the what it seemed to be suggesting in this was that one thing that they had in common was not a lot of meat eating uh and so you know that kind of because then that sort of 
what about the paleo uh, diet that they're now saying, well, if you get, you know, grass-fed beef, it's actually really good for you. Uh, so that's what I mean about trying to find out, well, you know, you know, what's good for you and what's bad for you. I'm sure it's like everything. It's like stuff in moderation. but uh, Yeah, probably. And I wonder if in some of these Blue Zone strips that people are not exposed to a lot of outside... Yeah, not a lot of outside pathogens or not a lot outside. Yeah. I think basically the rule is I mean, healthier environment. And I know that one thing that they did point out was a sense of community and feeling uh-huh. a part of something and sort of eating with a group and you know taking walks. So it's not so much about you know kind of doing you know intense exercising as just being active throughout the day and kind of moving around everything in moderation don't eat yeah. lead paint yeah that's bad <laughs> but then everything else in moderation or what's that horrible thing that you hear advertised by kind of ambulance chasing lawyers mesop Meso- mesothelioma yeah <laughs> yeah i'm still not 100 percent sure what that is it's, i don't know what the noma is, makes it, it sound really bad i feel bad. like it's in like yeah it's in that kind of stucco that has the kind of the bumpy texture. So I don't know if that's it, but you know, I feel like it's that's, that's you know, where you it know, comes you, from. You know, we look back like in the 20s or like the early teens at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution and we're like, those fucking morons had asbestos plates. What yeah. were they thinking? Were they thinking? Their silverware was yeah. made of lead, you know. Yeah. And, or your grandparents, you know, smoked when they were, you know, pregnant three. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or smoked throughout their lives. And then they'll look back on stuff that I'm sure we're doing. I know. That's what I'm gonna, cell phones. Oh they my god! Had they were into their fucking heads. <laughs> what were they doing? Didn't they start to catch on with the brain tumors? But no. And when they weren't next to their head, they put them next to their balls. <laughs> what were they doing? <laughs> I think a big thing, though, that they will sort of identify as stress. I mean, they're already starting to, but the connection between health and your mind and just like feeling, you know being really stressed out or sometimes even if you like are on the freeway and like you know you come close to like an accident you get that sort of surge of like something of like adrenaline you feel alive yeah but it's i'm sure like having that stuff course through you uh so people that are like ragers that that you know <laughs> cannot be good for you no i just i think i think we have a finite amount of energy in yeah. our bodies and well, that's what I feel about like you know running marathons. I feel like there's like a limited amount of tread, yeah. you know, on your tires. Or are you going to just like burn it out like training for marathons? Or are yeah. you going to like you know just sort of uh, take it slow? I think it's uh, yeah because I think when you are when you are stressed, so much of your energy is devoted to being stressed. That's when I feel like the other stuff gets through yeah and then you get sick or you're just not for sure yeah Yeah. the way you can get like sick after being like you know yeah really stressed uh i just think it's it's silly that we're we spend so much time pursuing happiness but it's rare that people are just like oh i'm just happy i'm just a happy i'm just happy like oh i gotta do this thing it'll make me happy like what if you were just happy and this right yeah yeah what if you just enjoyed the thing that you're doing instead of but for some reason, maybe it's just it's, always out maybe there. Maybe it's Jefferson who kind of got us off on that track with by saying the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> Motherfucker. It's like, God, you can't just be happy. We got to be pursuing it. Thanks a lot, Thomas yeah. Jefferson. For a second, yeah. I thought you were like, maybe it's the Jeffersons. I thought you were talking about the Jeffersons. <laughs> Moving on up to the east side. They're building it. They're showing an Keep impossible dream. Yeah, you can't do it. You know, it's expensive on the east side. There's no way those people can move on. This is crazy. 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I think the, the constant pursuit of something else, and, and especially this entertainment business is very unforgiving with that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you have any idea when you... Well, Bottle Rocket was, what, almost 20 years ago, right? It was 20 years ago, and more than 20 years ago. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, when I was with... We, we were just working on Zoolander in Rome, and Ben Stiller was... Somehow we're talking about Gene Kelly, uh, and, you know, he's great, and Singing in the Rain, all these movies, and then you... Ben was saying that his career, you know, that sort of window of those movies being popular were only like eight years. Oh, and wow. then, like, you know, it sort of shifted. And um, and so, you know, somebody that kind of beloved, it's hard to imagine that, gosh, he only had like an eight-year career. Um, but, uh, but yeah. That, so. But then there was just no – there was so much less of everything. Yeah. And there were so – Everyone they watched from musicals, yeah. Yes. No more musicals, no more guys like singing and dancing. That just kind of changed. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't really carry into the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> the fifties and the sixties wasn't really about dudes dudes dancing a whole lot, going on dates on shore leave. Yeah, just going for a dance to the streets of Manhattan. Yeah. We got a couple days. Let's let's go dance down Park Avenue. It's it's beautiful. I, I just think it's nice walking along the street, but what I'd really love to do is just <laughs> dance down it. <laughs> I like to imagine, I, I think it'd be really fun to imagine that if you were in Gene Kelly's reality, attack, but first we dance. <laughs> <laughs> no one else there can hear the music. So I think it's for them, they're just watching an insane person dressed like a sailor twirling around a light post. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in there, we're like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. I'm curious uh, when you started, when you guys, because I remember when Bottle Rocket came out and it was sort of this bit, and it was really that period of, it, w- it was really just the ramping up of, oh, guys can kind of just go out and make their own thing and it's really cool. And that really helped usher in that age of the, you know, the industrious kind of like, hey, let's just uh, pull up our bootstraps and go make a fun thing and, and it can actually become something. Yeah, I think um, I remember I, I went to uh, the Sundance Film Festival, and we had Wes and I had written um, the Bottle Rocket screenplay, but then seeing uh, Reservoir Dogs and uh, the way that movie began, and the conversation about tipping, and then Madonna, and um, just. Uh, thinking that was just kind of one of the best things I'd ever seen. And I think it, it, it kind of actually got us to change Bottle Rocket because then it became so popular that we had a beginning to Bottle Rocket that was talking about an episode of Starsky and Hutch <laughs> uh, that then maybe seemed like it was too much, uh, too derivative of Reservoir Dogs of that uh, scene. So then it shifted to talking about exercising and um, working out, as you could see that my interest in health and nutrition predates this podcast. <laughs> by, by a couple decades, in a weird sort right. of um, So, yeah, I've been pursuing that knowledge for uh, a while. But, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, the movie... Um, 
you know, we, we sort of, I remember Luke and I kind of, you know, walking along, uh, thinking, gosh, what's it going to be like when Bottle Rocket comes out? Because we just kind of assumed you make a movie and then, well, everybody sees it and, and, <laughs> and everyone knows who you are. Uh, and God, it's going to be hard for us even to be next to each other because it's going to be, there are those guys from Bottle Rocket. <laughs> but uh, that, that, uh, that fear was... Uh, you know, um, quickly proved to be, uh, um, it wasn't going to be a real problem after bottle rocket opened to about, you know, less than a million at the box (laughs) office for the life of its run. But, but it really, that movie became a calling card for you guys. And it, it did because somebody was asking me earlier about, you know, is it important, you know, how a movie does at the box office and reviews? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's really important because it just, you know, it, it helps, uh, obviously if they do well, then they give you money to do another one. But then I was kind of thinking about bottle rocket did no business and didn't get, you know, that good of reviews, but, uh, but it certainly kind of lives on, um, you know, with people coming up, you know, mentioning that movie more than they ever do The Haunting right. or something that would have, you know, made a ton of money, but they, they just sort of disappear. So uh, it, it is the the idea that you can sort of do something and that even if it doesn't, uh, you know, get a big audience early on, that, that some people will find it and embrace it if it, if it obviously, if it speaks to them. And, um, you know, that seemed to be what happened with Bottle Rocket and even kind of Zoolander because we're doing a sequel 14 years later to a movie that didn't do very well. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of reminds me of like when I was reading something about Neil Young and he was talking about um, his trans phase where he, you know, did the electronic music and um, I don't think it went over very well with his audience, but he wasn't taking a back step. And he, in fact, he was quoted as saying like, you know, I'm going back to that music and I'll either be a thousand years ahead or a thousand years behind but I'm going back and that's kind of what it seems like with Zoolander like we're going back we're going to do a sequel I don't know if there's an audience there but we're doing it (laughs) but I think that's ultimately because sort of like with Bottle Rocket and I think with a lot of stuff that you've done I think the story around the movies is just as important like the story around you guys making Bottle Rocket or the story that you know, you and Ben and this group of people seem to genuinely be friends. And yeah. so, and these things kind of spin out of your friendship because you go, hey, it'd be fun to do this. That is, I think, almost as important as the, the actual things themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if sometimes those, um, you know, the, the fact that your friends works its way into uh, the movie. Um, I'm, I'm sure it does. Um, the fact that, you know, with Bottle Rocket, that, you know, doing it with my brothers and uh, my best friend, I'm sure that kind of feeling works its way in. But, uh, yeah, um, but then there's lots of other movies that, you know, I'm sure start out the same way and then, you know, maybe don't work. But I think it doesn't really, I think as long as, I think it doesn't, I know it matters to a degree how things do because it depends on what your next thing is. But I also feel like, you know, if you look at anyone's career, some stuff hits and some stuff doesn't hit. And it's, but if you just stay in the game and you, you know, and you can still keep it fun. And and that's, and I guess that was the sort of the important thing with Bottle Rock is is that it, it did well enough, at least with 
some people embracing it that, um, you know, and they gave us a chance to do Rushmore. And then, you know, you kind of keep moving. And um, I do think there's something to be said with with not putting so much, like, you know, weight onto anything that you've already moved on, uh, that by the time it kind of comes out, it's like, you know, yeah, I hope it does well, but if it doesn't... Um, can't catch me because I'm already gone. <laughs> You've already I made three more things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already dancing through New York City. Yeah, uh, Jason Schwartzman's been on the podcast a couple times, and he's legitimately the nicest dude. Yeah, like the sweetest, most genuine. Which is so funny. Yeah, I was calling. He was calling me. Uh, well, I've known Jason forever, but then when we were playing brothers on Darjeeling, we spent a lot of time. You know, in India, just kind of sitting around waiting um, for them to set up the shots. But um, he is like, like, just so nice. And I started calling him Question Man. Uh, and he started calling me Quote Man that I do get from my dad because my dad would always send, you know, notes to me in college and it always was built around a quote that he had read. <laughs> and I have, like, kind of, you know, adopted that where there's no situation that doesn't make me think of a quote from somebody. And, um, and so Jason was calling me Quote Man, but he also is Question Man because it's always like, where'd you get that shirt? Is, uh, this? It's just, I don't know. I got it. Um, Yeah, I just love it. I'd love to get a shirt like that. Well, yeah. And so he's so, um, yeah, just so uh, disarmingly nice. And then you respond with, men should not want, which that he, the possessive, just just that endless loop of conversation. What's one man doing asking another man where he got that shirt? (laughs) Do you, uh, what's your, first of all, what's, do you have do you, do you find that different times of your life are sort of represented by one quote? Can you distill this period in your life in one quote? Is that how you see I it? I do know that there's some quotes that there's a few like that are like track one off my greatest hits of quotes. Uh, that that once more into the breach, dear friends, once more is one of those quotes that's so applicable that you can always use it basically. Anytime you're kind of tired and, well, we got to go back out there. Once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. So there's those kind of quotes that are just very serviceable for um, any situation. And that came from, you know, seventh grade English class where we had this great teacher, Mr. Conley, and that was one of the um, poems that we had to learn, uh, and that's Shakespeare. Is there is there a quote? That was sent to you where you said, I, fuck, I don't know what this means, I, but, but I'm afraid to ask because I don't want to look foolish, so I'll just assume that it I means I kind something. of felt like that about that movie about, uh, I guess it's based on the spy, Kim Philby, and all the stuff, uh, you know, with, you know, those Cambridge spies in England that were double agents for the Russians, and that movie that came out with Gary Oldman, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, oh, so right. I watched the movie. And I could feel that this is a great movie. I never could understand what was going on. <laughs> and it made me feel really stupid because I couldn't figure out, who is this? Do we trust this? Like, but it was, it was like one of those I was, I was too embarrassed to say, uh, you know, I, I just don't get anything that's happening here. <laughs> You're just saying uh, the theater. Anyone else? Yeah. Got a line on this? But it really was a good movie without understanding it. Um, you know, and uh, I also felt that little a little bit that way working on Inherent Vice, where I 
I couldn't quite understand. I've never read Thomas Pynchon, uh, and I had a hard time following. But uh, you feel like this is, you know, it's got to be good because people say it is. Yeah. It feels important. <laughs> people are very I, yeah. Well, what is Pynchon? He, his his books are known for being sort of experimental, or um, uh, we'll have to. Uh, Check the net on this. We'll have to check the net. I just know all my super smart friends know it. love it. Yeah. They know it. Yeah. They love it. Uh, yeah. Oh, and Heron Vice is going to be a movie. Pinchon-esque. It yeah. is? Oh, my God. Yeah. Should we should we take <laughs> right. the kids out of school? What are, we supposed, what are we do? What are we supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. But, can you uh, can you watch a movie just as a, an audience member, or do you... Or, or do you, I, are you I just have seeing a hard it? time watching if it's like, you know, if it's, you know, a really close friend or, you know... In it uh, because it just—I don't know—it's you, you, it, it makes me nervous for them. It's sort of you—you you want it to be good, and so <laughs> it, it, it just makes me uncomfortable uh, to watch it. But um, you know, sometimes uh, you know, yeah, you can still—it uh, it helps when you don't necessarily know the people in the movie to kind of be able to get into it. Um, you know, foreign movies, um, but but no, but then sometimes movies are so good they're foolproof to that. It doesn't matter, you know, who's in it and how well you know them. The movie's just so good and their performance is so good. You just uh, you forget about that. Do you have a phrase that you say when you've seen someone in a movie and you didn't like the movie and you don't want to hurt? I guess when we, when well, I do say that, like you know, it does seem like in, um, you know, in Hollywood that you have to measure things in degrees of greatness because no one ever says something's less than great, right? You know, so I'll go to the premiere tomorrow night, and you know, I'm sure afterwards people, you know, everyone's oh that was great, that, you know, and I do the same thing, and and. You kind of have to, because first of all, the movie's already done. So what 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 can you do to help it at this point? And you know, they're not looking to have you say, "Ah, didn't work for me." <laughs> you know what? You guys should change. Well, that we can't. Right. We're, we're sort of done. Uh, but um, you know, if it, if it really, uh, you know, I would just say, uh, I would just say, "Wow, great job." <laughs> You really? I mean, that was a movie. That was a movie. What can you say? I just like ah, oh, just was transported. <laughs> have you ever been in something that you were like ah oh, shit, and then someone said that was really great, and you're like, you don't have to say that, please. I Let's feel like that way every time. Do you really? I always feel like. No. I remember the midnight in Paris uh, when they showed it and. Can and afterwards, just thinking this thing just bombed. Uh, <laughs> it just feels like that to me. That's why I have a hard time watching stuff that I'm in because I know that I always react really negatively to it. It, it just never. You have this memory of it, like doing it, where it seemed kind of good in your mind. Then you see it, and it's just like, what were you on about there, mate? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Who are you fooling with this stuff? And uh, but then I can swing kind of wildly back the other way, where like three years later I can be like in bed flipping through the channels and stop on a movie I was in and be like, "This 
this is great. This is unbelievable. <laughs> like, why didn't people make a bigger deal out of this movie? So it's like, I feel like I'm sort of, you know, I'm either too high or too low. I'm not, I don't have the ability to just sort of be kind of, um, you know, just to appreciate it and, you know, uh, pretend, uh, you know, be objective about it, I guess. Well, I guess that's why it's important to just, you know, pick stuff you think is going to be fun, have fun on it, and move on to the next thing. And if you, because if you know that you have that reaction, it might not be a real thing. It might not be real. Right. It might not be real. Because yeah. if you have that reaction all the yeah. time, it's like, oh, my yeah. brain is obviously. Well, I remember, I, th- I thought it sort of began with Bottle Rocket with the test screening process where I was sort of forced to go. And, you know, we had one on the Santa Monica Promenade, and it seemed like a third of our audience walked out. And I think that was so traumatizing, uh, you know, that that always sort of affected my ability to kind of watch stuff because you can say that like well they're not walking out on you oh and they're walking out just on you know this character uh, but it feels like that's you especially <laughs> if you you know wrote it you know? it feels like a pretty personal rejection uh so um well it's a very yeah. vulnerable place to be to th- to 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 throw to throw something up on a screen to make something because you well, then, obviously- I, then I remembered that then I thought, okay, well, that was just Bottle Rocket. And then I remember working with Jackie Chan and on Shanghai Noon, and I saw some of the early, uh, you know, reaction. Like, we got, like, a good review from the New York Times, and it seemed like, you know, the movie tested well. And I remember going to that premiere, going, well, I'll, you know, I feel sort of insulated now. And 15 minutes later, I was like, I got to get out of here. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. I just, it, it, so it didn't matter. Just, yeah, it's like what you were saying. The way I process it, it's just very uncomfortable and awkward for me to have to sit there and watch stuff. Maybe you should have a rule where you will not watch, there's like a three year rule. It's like, I'll yeah. make stuff and then I won't yeah. watch it for three yeah. years. That's basically kind of what I do, what I do try to do. Uh, because, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously not constructive uh you know because yeah because it can't be that negative um yeah it's funny how that works but you're so i mean like but it's well, just, i wonder about people directing themselves like you know to be able i don't know to, how like, you do that you know go back to the monitor and edit stuff but you probably get used to it i'm sure it's probably like public speaking you sort of probably get over seeing yourself and it being sort of strange and awkward and you kind of get used to it and then you're able to sort of judge it the performance by its own merits or maybe they can maybe they either lean heavily on the editor or they can they can disassociate themselves and it's like a huge ego (laughs) (laughs) this guy's great more him well that's you yeah 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 he's really good cut everyone else out i don't give a shit cut everyone else out but i think you know uh i feel like so many of the guys and and you in particular you have been able to bounce around to so many different types of things because the like you could have just done silly comedies, but you didn't. You can do, do do dramatic stuff. You can you can write stuff. And do you feel? And No Escape looks fucking amazing. Like it's this trailer is, is really stressful, mm-hmm. really really stressful in the be- and like in a good cinematic way. Yeah. Well, well, that's what I felt when I was reading the script. That it felt like. Oh yeah, yeah. And at this point, you gotta like get your kids off the roof, and you're gonna have to throw them. This is gonna be gnarly. <laughs> I was making so, I was making horrible jokes with my girlfriend when I was on the train. I'm like, shit, take three. You know, I did this earlier. I'm sure I can get the next one over the 
I swear I can do this. Can I just one more try? One more try. And and I do. I mean, that was kind of um, you know you know I, I think sort of imagining myself playing this character. I couldn't really see myself sometimes playing like a real sort of superhero type character, but I could see myself playing a father who you know loves his kids and you know would do anything to protect them because I think that's pretty basic to fathers and uh to you know most human beings you know you want to protect your kids um even if you know it, it, even if it's just a child you know somebody else's child you have that instinct uh to um you know to protect a kid so i, I thought that the when i first read it it seemed like kind of like it could be a exciting story you know because they were adding that that's yeah, it's one thing to kind of get yourself out of trouble, but now you got to deal with, uh, you know, how do you get um, your two kids out of trouble and your wife also? Although she was kind of helping me. <laughs> do you, does it feel the same when you go into a movie like this as opposed to, you know, if you go into Zoolander or Wedding Crashers where it's like, oh, I know everyone and we're going to go fuck around and have fun? Or- it does feel the same because it's always sort of a little bit, you know, it's sort of the same kind of tension every day when you go to work that you're trying to make it sort of in your mind feel like that's pretty good you know i i always feel like that on you know almost every movie i've worked on that at some point there's like a feeling that sort of a collective hypnosis where everyone starts to think or at least i fool myself into thinking like this this could be a really fucking good movie (laughs) and obviously not all the movies i've worked on have worked and uh there's been plenty that didn't work at all but still at some point during even the ones that didn't work there was a feeling that this is pretty good i think what we're doing is pretty good because i think it's too hard to go to work every day to think that you're just making something lousy and the few times i've had a bad experience on a movie was because i could never even get clear that hurdle of thinking that so just the whole process was like this thing does not work (laughs) that's that's a real that's that's and you got to finish it and you got to finish it and it's just like that's not a fun way to go to work so you know there's no difference for me you know working on no escape or working on um you know what i was just working on zoolander it's that's still that you know, you were kind of look around and you're like, yeah, this, I felt like that scene worked. And the director says, yeah, that was good. I think we got it. Okay. And everyone's kind of, you feel the energy on set when it feels like you sort of are, are getting it right. And, um, and so in, in that respect, they're not that different, um, you know, from each other. Uh, the hard part is when you, when you don't, when you can't get that feeling or when you're doing something and you like, I don't know if this is working and you kind of look around at the crew and they're kind of looking off and stuff and you and so that's kind of no one will make eye contact with you you just described the same but that the, what you just described is like when you're on a flight when it gets really turbulent and you just kind of look at the flight crew yeah. you're like okay do they do they seem okay yeah, right because I'll I will freak out if they freak yeah. out and there's something about being like you know actors that you are sort of you know, tolerance, make-believe and stuff, and you're always kind of looking to, you know, the director is the, you know, the parent figure. And it, and I've seen this with, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, how established you are as an actor, there's an instinct, a feeling that you finish a take, they yell cut, and you just look. 
you know, to see kind of what the director's reaction, because you can see on their face before they've said, that's great, or anything, you just sort of see. And uh, and I sometimes wonder, even with, uh, you know, where sometimes you sometimes see the frustration with um, somebody who's been acting for a long time, who starts to sort of, you know, get that feeling of, like, they don't want to be, you know, now they're, you know, in their 60s, and they're looking to you know, some 29-year-old, and they're <laughs> mad at themselves for doing that, but they can't help it. And that leads to their kind of frustration with acting. What am I doing? Like, i got to look for that guy to, for approval. Uh, yeah. But there is that. It's just like, it's just that instinct because you're kind of a kid playing the scene, trying to do it. They yell cut, and it's like, did we get it? Are, are we moving on? Well, know, but that, but it, because it's impossible... Entertainment is so subjective, and it, there's so many different ways to attack something that it's it's just not linear. It's not like you know. Well, my goal was to sell a uh, hundred soda pops today, and I yeah. sold those. Like you have that benchmark, but you don't know. There's so much riding on so many different points of view. How are you supposed to know? How do you even get stable? And it is so you know collaborative that there's. I remember. Um, I remember Jim Brooks, who produced Bottle Rocket and kind of gave us our, you know, big break, saying that there's the movie that you start out shooting, there's the movie then you sort of discover, you know, when you're actually shooting it, and then the one you find in the editing room and how it just can always be sort of changing. Um, Because there are so many sort of moving parts, and I think that kind of goes back to that sort of thing I said that you can kind of, you know, hypnotize yourself into thinking that I think this is good this could be pretty good. And, you know, then afterwards you see the movie and it's like this thing didn't work at all just because there's so many things that have to fall into place, I think, for uh for a movie to be good, I think. With your yeah. so w- with your collaborations with Wes, th- th- those movies have such a specific and I don't, I don't exactly know. I know you know what I'm talking about. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but there's a thing about them. Like when you see that, yeah. when you see those names together, you go, "Aha! That's a, that's a thing that I like." Yeah. Can you, I, do not, you know what that yeah. is? Yeah. Well, I'm not. I mean, to me, it would be Wes. It would be, and and I. I this has kind of become a popular word that I don't love, but you know, a brand. People talking about a brand, but. You know, Wes, his, um, I think his movies and visually they're just instantly recognizable in that world that he sort of uh, creates um, that you just kind of, you see a preview and it's like, well, there's no one else who directed this. It had to have been Wes. Um, And... um, yeah, who knows where um, where he? It, it's Bottle Rocket's slightly different, uh, probably from uh, you know isn't so recognizably uh, that way as you know. Then Rushmore um, began with the curtains pulling back and stuff, uh, um, but that was that's I guess just Wes's sort of visual um, signature. Yeah, what's your favorite part of the? What's your favorite way to tell a story? Is it is it writing, or do you do you like performing? Do you do you actually do you, do you enjoy the acting part of it? Yeah, I have fun acting when you you know when you hypnotize yourself into thinking that you know everything's working. But uh, but when you said just telling a story, I think that uh, even sitting around with friends or sitting around with your family, at least the way it worked with us growing up, a lot of it was. 
you know, if everyone was in a good mood and your dad was in a good mood, you'd tell stories that, you know, you've told a lot before, but everybody still sort of, you know, loves hearing the story. They know it, but uh, you kind of, and I think that, uh, you know, maybe sharpens um, your ability to kind of hear what works with a story, at least when you're telling it to friends and to a group. Um, And then uh, that must be what happens with, you know, directors and stuff when they, you know, as they kind of hone their craft, they get better at kind of knowing, you know, what works and what's going to work. Um, but, um, I mean, there's, I, I, I don't know if there's a better feeling than, you know, it's rare, it seems like, uh, you know, that you find a book where you're kind of excited to get back home and actually start reading it again. Um, or when you see a movie that you really can, um, you know, just lose yourself in, that you didn't necessarily expect anything. I always bring up that movie, and now it's been a while since that movie came out, but that movie, The Lives of Others, um, that was uh, that won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. It's probably, you know, eight years old or something now, but that was, you know, one of those examples of just putting in a movie... Okay, I don't know what this is, and you start watching, and it's just all of a sudden it's the best movie I've ever seen, and that's that's an exciting feeling. I used to think about when I was working in Blockbuster. Sometimes people would come in, they'd want a suggestion, and you'd recommend a movie, and I'd think, God, wouldn't it be great if you'd never seen The Godfather before, <laughs> and now you're going to go home tonight and see it, you know? Or if you'd never read, um, you know, this, you know. Huckleberry Finn, and now you're going to get, you know, to read that. Uh, so uh, there's always that chance when you're, you know, working on something that Blockbuster you Blockbuster video. Can... <laughs> Completely forgot about Blockbuster video. I mean, I, I, I knew it was a thing for a long yeah. time, but I just yeah. hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. It's just, it just disappeared, disappeared, and I don't think about video stores anymore. Yeah, they're just gone. Did you like working at Blockbuster Video? Well, it was only one summer, and I was, you know, not really great at the computer part of it. Um, so they would just kind of have me out on the floor, uh, you know, doing the security tag on the candy and stuff. So it would just kind of be sitting there. But it was nice because they would let you bring home, like, you know three movies um, uh, so you could get as many movies watch as many movies as you wanted but uh, yeah blockbusters like they just came and went didn't they yeah it was it all it just the the net the net the net claimed another victim (laughs) blockbuster videos Clawing on the troll, <laughs> just blowing off into the universe. Poor blockbuster video. I don't know. Do you, when you when you were growing up, were the types of movies that, that guy you... must have made a ton of money because I think that there was a there was a blockbuster bowl or you know and uh, did the guy who started blockbuster did he own the Miami Dolphins maybe or am I imagining? I don't know because there was also blockbuster music too, right? Yeah. Wasn't there wasn't there the music the music part of it? Well, those, I mean, I mean, all those, like Tower Records, all that stuff's know. gone, you know. But, I know. Um, Colin Hanks made a documentary about Tower Records. He did. Just all about sort of, like, the... Like, well, like, Borders and, you know, borders places. Yeah. But that's, you know what, it, and I think it all ties back to everything that we've been talking about, which is, those were... The one thing the net did the, the net yeah. did create virtual communities, but the thing that it killed was 
the sort of in real life communities and I think sort of uh, accidentally tying it all together those were fun experiences to go to the video store to go to bookstores to go to record stores yeah you're communing with other people and exchanging ideas in person and you said communing with other people and I do think that sort of as human beings we have that instinct to be you know a part of a community which takes us back to the blue zone right living to a (laughs) hundred and feeling you know that you're a part of something no one wants to feel you know like a free agent like you're travis bickle just like this like you know alienated loner you want to feel you know connected uh find your blue zone yeah find your incidentally you're wearing all blue you are you are the blue zone well, at the moment. You know, by any means necessary. <laughs> but I just I love I loved hearing about you know you were saying your brothers and your dad were together and exchange stories that part of community and then also I think seeing how you've come up in the last twenty years and then seeing you work with the same people over again that feels very communal too. Yeah, I do think the way that I've you know ended up working with Ben so many times and uh, Wes and um, yeah um, well it's fun to work with your friends um, and you don't you, you, you can sort of it's the same way with your kind of brothers you don't have to go through that you know kind of awkward you know tiptoeing around the other person right you know you can sort of um, you know be more um, you know straightforward immediately right off the bat did it feel that way when you guys went back to Zoolander like oh no (laughs) even as I'm saying that I'm not I don't quite believe because I think (laughs) I really do have to tiptoe around Ben and I'm sure he has to tiptoe around me a little bit in the beginning because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings Uh, so um, you know I, I don't know yeah, if if what I was just saying necessarily applies, but maybe you get over that feeling quicker, or maybe um, you know, maybe the fact that you have to sort of you know what you have to sort of tiptoe around um, the other person, you know, you kind of have a shared sensitivity, and that's why you were sort of friends in the first place. Or at least maybe. if you have a history and you step on an emotional landmine, yeah, you can go. Hey, I already know you. Yeah. I, sorry about that. Yeah. And then you yeah. know it's not, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, remembering us like being out one night in Rome and I had this t-shirt that I thought was like a pretty cool t-shirt that I guess was maybe like slightly kind of retro. And, you know, sometimes you put something on, you're not quite you know, sold on it, but you're like, oh, I'm going to give it a shot. Let's just put it in the starting lineup. I'm going to go out there, and like you're kind of sitting there, and there's a group of people, and you feel good, and it's like, I think I made the right call with this thing. You know, this is one of those walk-ons that's now in the starting lineup. And and then Ben said, I love that shirt. And I was like, really? Yeah. That guy goes, yeah. Um, I had one when I was seven. And it just instantly... <laughs> and it was like trying to bring back like those rugby shirts kind of that you did wear when you were like a kid uh that i was thought well maybe they maybe their time has come around again but uh you just stand up fuck you man (laughs) the shirt's rad you just don't want to admit it right you're just mad you didn't you didn't have one you know what you should do is when the movie wraps you have to send him a box of those shirts i couldn't help but notice that you admired my shirt yeah uh here's a bunch for you and then 
Actually, Ben was saying, no, no, the shirt does look good. Like, it wasn't, he, it sounds like he was doing that joke. It looks good on you, but he really, no, no, it does. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he was just kidding. But that sounds like the, yeah. that's, that sounds like the Caddyshack thing. Oh, yeah, yeah it looks, balls, good. looks good on you, though. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I just saw the most awkward, someone posted the most awkward junket interview with, it was Chevy Chase, Ted Knight, Bill Murray, um, and, uh, 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 who else? Um, one of the other guys from Caddyshack. Uh, and this, and uh, and this woman was interviewing them. This older woman, and it was like this six and a half minute interview from 1980, and it was the most awkward. Oh, Bill Murray! Oh, Bill Murray was in it. Yeah, they were all in it. Bill Murray, Ted Knight, Chevy Chase, and, and they, and they all seemed like they had been up all night, and it was weird. And I'm ge- I'm guessing I-, I just assume that between like seventy and eighty four, everyone was just on drugs all the time. <laughs> but it was so uncomfortable because she was she was asking them questions about their characters and trying to make jokes as if they were real. Like with Rodney Dangerfield, she was like, "Oh, those clothes you were wearing," and he was like, "Yeah, it was a character supposed to be kind of <laughs> yeah, obnoxious." Yeah, so wardrobe <laughs> set them up for me. <laughs> but it's a really if you ever if you ever feel like. I've had to do a junket and it was weird and it was awkward. Look it up on the net. And, is it uh, there? You can. Is it's it, on is YouTube. It, is it something you hear or something you can you see it? Oh, really? I don't know who this woman was. They were and Dangerfield. She's got all those guys in the room together. It, it was at Dangerfield's comedy club in New York. They were all just there. And I don't know what like blackmail information she had over these people because she was clearly that. not an interviewer. Yeah. She was. It was just like your aunt. Like if yeah. your aunt was like, I'll field this one. <laughs> Um, Chevy, are, your golf swing is is weird. Those are three people that you could see not having a lot of patience for, uh, you know, wouldn't suffer fools gladly. But maybe they were nice to this old lady. Ted Knight made the most effort to be accommodating. Yeah. But Rodney was just sort of like, what? And Bill Murray was very... I mean, I don't know. And Chevy Chase was just kind of acting like, why am I here? You know, it was such a, it was such an awkward, it was such an awkward thing. It's just like seeing those dudes even back then and go, I guess stuff hasn't really changed a whole lot. These things are still really awkward. Were you a big Caddyshack fan? Yeah, I think um, Caddyshack was one of those like videos that like uh, our friends that lived down the street that they had like gotten from the video store and never returned. You know they you know used to be able to rack up those charges, so they owed like three hundred eighty nine dollars <laughs> for like it. three tapes. Yeah, yeah, for like three <laughs> tapes, and they just they they hung on to it. So they had that, and um, they had uh, also Animal House. So yeah. Uh, also, the uh, a movie I remember kind of loving that was kind of like that was Used Cars. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was a great, one. Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt Russell is great in that, and um, yeah, those were great. Those were those rated R comedies, and now it seems like it's is it you know is that a cyclical thing? Right now it's swinging back against r-rated comedies then you know they kind of like died out for a little bit they're they're what i grew up with where you'd see some kind of nudity and then they kind of stopped and it was like pg-13 and then with the hangover and uh they kind of became rated r again and now maybe you know the r-rated comedy seemed like they haven't been doing that great if you watch caddyshack now and you're watching you're like there was no need for boobs right there like there you didn't it didn't serve anything there's just unless boobs. you were 13 unless you're 13 of course it does like, yes 
finally there. <laughs> but now if you have the net, you can see way worse stuff yeah. than just like a guy right. snacking on someone's <laughs> boob. Like you can see way worse stuff. <laughs> but I uh, uh, used cars definitely tapped into that too of kind of gratuitous nudity <laughs> <laughs> they were hitting. I want my comedy with boobs. Yeah. And I want everyone to be on drugs in them. That's all I need. And I'm good. Uh, but uh, I know, uh, I'm, I, I think you might have, I'm being, t- you, we, it's time, right? Did, I can't believe this okay. went by already. This, is, this, this, this just flew, this completely flew by. But I Whoa. think what we established is community is important. And do you have a quote that you want to, do you have a good quote that you want to send away? Yeah, what would be a great uh, quote to... Uh, if you don't to, know me by now, you will it. never, never, ever know me. <laughs> Done. <laughs> That's what we end the podcast. That's it. We all have our own funny mood. If you don't know me. Perfect. But Perfect. Amen. I was waiting for you to pick up the chorus. No, I can't sing. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna do this band if you're not gonna take it seriously. Well, I'm gonna be behind the scenes. Oh, okay, you're gonna be out front. Okay, good. All right, good. All right, I'm gonna go get my makeup. Okay. Um, thanks, man. Okay, good thank to you see for you. having me. Enjoy your burrito, everybody. All right. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.